Hey guys, uh, this is the intro for the second to last episode of Gutsy Media Podcast. Um, this is the episode I did with my wife. Uh, she picked Empire Records, one of her favorite movies of all time. One of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, spoiler. Um, nothing, nothing written this time. I got nothing to promote, nothing I'm giving away. Podcast is coming to an end. I really appreciated everybody's time. Um, we have one last episode after this with Alec. And uh, I just want to say thanks for listening. Thanks for being a fan. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm getting a little choked up. Um, and if you want to continue to follow me, check out Letterboxd, where I will keep the Gutsy Media uh, account active. Um, I will also keep the YouTube channel active. Maybe I'll post things from time to time. Um, but for the most part, we are going to be done with the episodes. Um, it's been a blast. And uh, thanks again. So without further ado... On with the show. Do you do you hear that on your end? Do you hear the the little recording in progress thing on your end? Definitely do. All right, good. So I'm glad I'm not throwing it at my guests without them knowing. Um, thank you so much for being on the episode. I always love having guests on, especially guests that I know, especially guests as smart and beautiful as you. Um, you can pay me later for saying uh-huh. that. You picked Empire Records. Now, I've known you for a long time. This is one of your favorite, if not your most favorite movie of all times. Um, I'm got start with the same question I start with every guest. Why Empire Records? I like the the group camaraderie that they have. I like the music. I thought it was just an exciting movie to watch. It was one of those movies you can watch over and over again. It's not overly dramatic. It's not overly depressing or one way or the other. They keep it very uh, up and down. Yeah, I mean, this this movie, you said not very dramatic. The plot of this movie is it can probably be summed up in like two sentences. It's, it's essentially a day working at a record store. Well, I mean, there's a little more going on than that. There's, of course, there's more going on, but there's no, there's no like grand dramatic plot. And I'm not saying that like well, it's a negative. Yeah, there is. Sure, there is. They're trying not to be sold to a big company and lose their small, fe- small but, town feel. But how important is that to the movie? I mean, that is literally it's that, the ma- the main point you, of the movie. You say that, you say that, but the whole idea of the big chain record store coming in and, and buying them out doesn't even come to the forefront until more than halfway through the movie. Uh, not true. It's the very first thing you find out when the movie starts. All right. I mean, you're not wrong. I, I guess my, my okay. point is, my point is, is that it's not the central focus of any one of the characters. Oh, I guess it kind of is. Yeah. Okay. Slow down there. It well, is, I'm, it I, what I was going to say it was, I'm not. I'm not saying it. it. I'm not saying it like it's a negative. What I'm saying is, is that I think this movie falls in a very niche genre of movies that are just kind of that that growing up feel. That you know, your first job, you don't take it too seriously. Feel. I mean, this is uh, can't hardly wait. Comes to mind. Also starring uh, Ethan Embry. Um, what other ones? Super bad is probably you know the newest generation's uh, sort of growing up movie. Sandlot. It's all these movies that kind of have what I would call minor plots because the overall 
film is really about this group of people just being friends. And I, I, that's, that's what personally I enjoy about the movie. So I was just kind of curious is it, if it's the same thing for you. And it sounds like it is. It's, it's the idea of this group friendship, these misfits, if you will, that somehow found each other in this, in this job. I, am I wrong in saying that? No, that's definitely the heart of the movie is that they, they don't dive into the history too much on how long they've worked there or how long they all known each other. But you got you get sense right from the beginning that they're all very well connected. They all have their own unique personalities, yet they accept one another and they just really enjoy working together. And they have a very carefree boss who helps rein them in, but let them still be themselves. So it, is this a movie? How long have you been a fan of this movie? Forever. So the movie comes out in 1995. It's the coming of age comedy drama Empire Records starring Roy Kocherin from Days and Confused and Argo, Liv Tyler from That Thing You Do. That was our season two, episode 14. Renee Zellweger, also from Days and Confused, although she's uncredited in that movie. And then obviously her breakout film, uh, which is her next film, Jerry Maguire in 1996 with uh, Tom Cruise. Do you think you relate to this movie because you can relate to this movie? I mean, is this is that why you like this movie so much? Yeah, I think a lot of people have a similar scenario, not not as dramatic, I'm sure, but a similar scenario with your first job, second job, where you just you're starting out, you get this little group of friends and you you hang out at work, outside of work. It's you just become a little family home away from home, I guess. A hundred percent. I think uh, I know that you are lucky enough to have that. Um, I would assume with KFC, probably with Wendy's a little bit too. Uh, I was lucky enough to have that both Arby's and Martino's. Um, it's actually kind of depressing when you get a little older and those jobs go from that, you know, uh, carefree first job to like a more paying serious job. But um, I think everybody kind of goes through that, which is probably why the movie is so powerful and so relatable. But before we get into the plot of the movie um, or any of the, the major actors, a lot of which will go on to have huge Hollywood careers, let's go through the baseball card, if you will. Uh, movies released September 22nd. So it's got a limited release, a uh, wide release on October 20th. Runtime is 90 minutes flat, hour 30. What do you think of the runtime? How, how important is the runtime to a movie to you? It depends on how well the movie's written. If I am engrossed enough, then I'm not paying any attention to the time. Do you but think it's, it's not? Go ahead. If it's not engaging me, then I'm looking at my watch. It could be 20 minutes in. So it really depends on the writing and the acting and what's going on. Fair enough. Do you think the runtime of the movie will will impact your your ability to kind of get engaged with it? I mean, if you sit down and the, you know the movie's three hours going in, is it going to be a little harder to get into it? Oh yeah, I'm already over it. If it's if I know it's going to be three hours, that's that is a little extreme. I think the last time we did that, we had to cut it into pieces because there was just no way. Yeah, we were going to get through the Snyder cut. Yeah, I mean it was four hours and that was insane. Um, budget for the movie is ten million dollars. Box office, and this is pretty insane box office is anywhere between 270,000 and 300,000 
it doesn't even make a million dollars on a $10 million budget. It, did it, you see, did you see the trailers that they put out? I did. This is, okay. This is that's why. <laughs> very, very nineties trailer. Um, they were horrible. I, I will say this. I think for, a, I've never seen a movie make that little on such a big budget and then go on to become a, a cult classic movie. I mean, this, this movie, it is a cult Stop. classic. You can't do that. April 8th is still celebrated by its fans as Rex Manning Day. I mean, this has a huge following. For a movie that didn't make a million dollars, this has a huge following. Do you know who Rex Manning is a tribute to? Um, Let's see if I have it here in my notes. Um, I I don't see anything in my notes about who he was based on. My very official Google search says that it's it's a tribute to Kurt Cobain. I I find that hard to believe. Yeah, I don't believe that either. He doesn't, he doesn't have a yeah. I mean, Kurt Cobain was grungy and, and right gross. Um, <laughs> and he wasn't gross. He was gross. He smells like I mean, Nirvana. Ugh. Nirvana shouldn't have a smell. I'm, 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 well, anyway, Rex Manning was not grungy by any means not by any didn't have long blonde hair um so movies produced by regency enterprises uh very well-known company i just want to run down a few of the other movies that they have produced we have um man on fire who is harry crumb one of my favorites uh once upon a time in america pretty woman um i've never seen that movie really hmm Copycat, He, A Time to Kill, Tin Cup. I mean, these are all great, great movies. Uh, Under Siege 2, probably the best of the Under Sieges, if you will. Free Willy, which comes out in 93. So this movie's well-known, or this production company's well-known. There's a lot of big, um, big movies. The issue with this one is two days after approving the purchase of the script, Regency Enterprises is approached with Clueless. Having already had a teen movie, they turn down Clueless, which later goes on to make $57 million. Ooh, not a good choice in retrospect. However, I would say between the two movies, this, I don't know. I don't know. From 1995 to present day, which one has the larger following empire records or clueless i gotta say clueless well, i would imagine yeah aren't they making another one they well i mean they're making another one of everything hollywood has no good ideas anymore there, there isn't another empire records it's funny you say that in 2018 it was announced that they were adapting the movie for a broadway musical i saw that is that which, a real thing that is a real thing the problem is, is it was put on hold when um it says here that there was a global pandemic i don't i don't remember that happening as if you will sense yeah in 2018 it was announced global pandemic oh. happens they put it on hold um, as of february 2021 there's been no update given on the broadway musical i gotta say though i think this movie is perfect for a broadway musical like you said the, the music in this film is huge it does have a huge impact on the film not just because they're in a record store but it's got some catchy tunes in it and there's an undertone, a coming of age sort of undertone here that I think is told through the music. What, what, did, what did the music, how did the music impact your 
um, you know, viewing of the movie and, and your ability to enjoy it? I think the music just kind of gave you a letter, little better insight on each of the characters because they all have very specific music that they like and it's, they played a little of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, when they play songs that you know and are catchy, then it obviously gets you more excited about the movie. And at the end, that song was just, I don't know, it was catchy, it was exciting and makes it more interesting to watch. Yeah, I agree. Um, the movie's based on uh, Carol Hyken, who is the writer, and her time working at a Tower Records. Uh, Tower Records goes into bankruptcy in 2005. So not maybe some of the listeners won't even know what a Tower Records is. Have you ever been in Tower Records? No. Really? I was in one in D.C. This does, this, Empire Records definitely screams Tower Records. It's very... How did you see a Tower Records? I was in D.C., yeah, but you said 2005. Correct. I was in DC in 2005. That was the year so I got there. So it was right before they closed. Yeah, correct. Yep. Oh, okay. Um, at least I'm, yeah, it was a Tower Records. Uh, movies directed by Alan Moy. Uh, he doesn't really do anything else. He's only got 13 directorial credits, and most of them are like music videos and stuff. It's distributed by Warner Brothers, uh, which who did a ton of 90s uh, teen films very well-known in the teen film market. No awards uh, were given to the film, including any musical awards, which I think was a miss. Yeah, the song at the end is very catchy and very exciting, and they should have gotten an award for that. Agreed. Um, Not what that I wanted... crazy other the... song where he gets eaten. I don't Gwar. like that. Gwar's in this. Yeah, it was awful. Speaking of Mark, played by Ethan Embry, um, probably one, one of the favorites. more well-known, yeah, well-known actors in the movie. He's got a very interesting character, a very interesting taste of music. Is it safe to say that Mark may have some brain damage? I think he's, he's just very excitable. He just loves life. He's ready to <laughs> eat an edible and he's ready to go. He's just excited about he, everything. One of the, so this is what I want to do, uh, something a little different. We're, we're definitely going to get into the plot of the movie, but this movie does breed a lot of well-known actors and actresses. I want to talk a little bit about them, about the characters, and maybe which ones were your favorite and which ones are your least favorite. Um, let's start with Joe Reeves, played by Anthony LaPeglia. Uh, pretty pretty well-known actor. Um, he plays the boss, the manager of Empire Records. Joe, he's a drummer. Um, you kind of get the sense that not that he's washed up, but that maybe his best days are behind him. Is that safe to say? His best days are behind him. Yeah, I mean he's middle aged and he's the <gasps> manager so of a record store. Yeah, he likes his job. He, yeah. he, I disagree. I don't think he likes his job. I think he likes his employees. And I think he will like his job in the future. And the movie ends, spoiler, with him kind of buying the record store, which I think yeah. is going to allow him to like his job a lot more. So if he didn't like his job, why would he be so distraught about being bought out by this other company? I think it's the people. I think he enjoys the staff. He enjoys playing kind of um, mentor, if you will, to this ragtag bunch of misfits, yeah, which I will continue to refer to them job. as. 
Right. Of course not. Nobody wants to lose their job. No, no. I said they weren't going to lose their job with the transition. I'm pretty sure half of these employees, if not more, would probably get fired or quit within the first couple of weeks. Well, quit is another story, but. He's probably most famous for playing the best friend in So I Married an Axe Murderer. Uh, he's also credited in being without a trace. Uh, so not a, not a whole lot of other big films, but he's got one of those faces that he's probably in half a dozen things you just don't remember. Yeah, I don't I don't recognize him from any other movie, but coming from me, that's not a big surprise. We, we talked about Ethan Embry. Uh, he's also in Can't Hardly Wait, another kind of coming-of-age teen movie. Uh, have you seen that movie? No, but he's in one of my favorite shows. What, what, oh, that's right. He is the son in Frankie. Grace and Frankie. Grace and Frankie. Right. Which is weird because he plays like and, a 50-year-old son, and now he's we're talking about a teen movie he was in. And he's in Can't Hardly Wait. Yep. Which is my favorite movie next to this one. I just, I said, have you seen that movie? You said no. That's not what you said. I said, have you seen Can't Hardly Wait? No, you didn't. What did you, <laughs> what did you think I said? I don't know. I blanked out. I don't he, know what you said. He's also in Sweet Home Alabama. And oh, he's yeah. also in I, that, I like thing that, that Thing You Do. That Thing You Do. Wait a minute. That thing you do is what I'm thinking of. Not can't hardly wait. You haven't seen that movie? No, the that thing you do is my favorite. Not can't hardly wait. Oh, have you seen can't hardly wait? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so turned around, you have no idea. He's also credited for being in a couple episodes of Law and Order. And the Spider-Man TV series? That's got to be like the animated one or something. Hey, speaking of Spider-Man, did you know? That what's his name? Darn it, Toby Maguire mm-hmm. was in this movie, but they deleted the scenes. I did not know that. That is a very impressive little factoid you got there. You know, <laughs> I had to make up for not knowing what movie you were talking about earlier. Uh, several edits took place on the film in post production. They removed a whole three characters and 40 minutes of film, including a whole storyline with Warren's sister. With Warren's sister. Warren, played by Brandon Sexton yeah. III. He is probably one of my favorite characters. He's the guy who attempts oh, to... he's so annoying. He, he, he attempts to shoplift, which is a great little 10-minute segment of the movie. And then but he comes so back at the squeaky. end and gets a job. He is, well, he means he's 15. I know, kid. but control yourself. Um, but there, so he has a great line in the movie where he, they're going through the CDs that he stole. And one of them, I believe, is Whitney Houston or something along those lines. And he makes the comment that it's for my girl. Lucas is my favorite. Lucas and is great. watching him interrogate him is the best. And Lucas, chasing down is the best. He's played by Roy Cotron. Um, he isn't in many other things. He's he's in um, Days and Confused, probably what he's most well known for, the long-haired hippie in Days and Confused. Um, he's had a couple roles recently with Argo, but he took a pretty significant amount of time off. And when I say off, I mean not a lot of projects. I don't know if he just wasn't getting cast. Um, so this is 95. He is in Argo in 2012 
again, a couple a couple things in between there. He's in the Scanner Darkly, he's in Public Enemies, a couple TV shows, but nothing of substantial uh, headline. I, I do like Lucas. The problem is, is that Lucas starts off the whole thing. So our opening credit roll is Lucas. He's closing the store for the first time, and he comes across the documents saying that the store is going to be sold or purchased or whatever by this this chain um record store I, I forgot what the name of the record store is do you remember no i don't remember off the top of well head. regardless he decides to take it upon himself to save the store save the empire and uh he takes the the money at the end of the night and goes to the casino and tries to win a bunch to buy the record store um spoiler he loses it all and then proceeds to go back to work the following day and has to explain it to Joe, the manager, how he's lost all this money. AJ, you said is your favorite, played by John Johnny Whitworth. He is he's the heartthrob of the movie. I mean, that's is that why he's your favorite? Because he's the he's the good looking one. No, he's not my favorite. He is good looking. He's one of okay. I like all of them. Lucas <laughs> is my favorite. Why is Lucas your favorite? Because he's so monotone. He's just very mellow. And he has quick comments and responses to things. He's very witty. I just, yeah, I just love it. Here's, but here's, I do like AJ. He gets a little at the end. He's a he's little all, gooey. I'm in love with you. Yeah, he's a yeah, little gooey. Here, here's my thing with Lucas. Um, and upon what, so like most of the movies we covered in the podcast that I have seen, if I've, if I've seen it, I probably saw it many, many years ago. Uh, with Empire Records, it's no different. I've seen this movie about a thousand times, um, most recently, probably two or three years ago. But watching it this time for the podcast, I was kind of going through it with, you know, the, the eyes of somebody who knew, knows the plot, you know, and is looking for specific things to talk about on the, on the podcast, obviously. My thing with Lucas is, do you think his personality during this single day is different than it would be any other day for Lucas? I mean, based on what has transpired in his life over the last 12 hours with losing the money and all that and knowing what he knows, do you think he's acting differently during the, the events of the movie than he does normally? If it is, I don't think it's a dramatic change because none of the other characters seem to react differently to him as if his character has changed, his personality has changed. And more specifically, when, they, when Warren comes in and they get, he gets picked as being a shoplifter, they kind of, um, they already know how it's going to play out once Lucas goes after him. Right. So this has happened before. This is part of what Lucas does. He's really good at it. So I feel like if it was, it's not, not a drastic change. It's funny. So he, sorry, go ahead. Maybe he's opening up a little more because he feels bad about what's happening and what he did, but I don't think it's anything significant. You said Lucas 
it, it appears, I agree with you. It appears that Lucas has, has handled shoplifters before. It's, everybody in the store kind of seems to know what's going to transpire and that Lucas is going to eventually catch this guy. Um, do, you, do you think they all kind of bring something to the store or to the dynamic there? I mean, you have um, uh, Liv Tyler plays Corey. She's you know counting the register and seems very meticulous about her stuff. Renee Zellweger plays Gina. She is uh, different. She's very carefree. Yep. We got uh, Deborah played by Robin Tunley. I'm probably mispronouncing that. She seems to be a little more authoritative. Um, definitely troubled a bit. It seems like these characters no two are the same is what i'm trying to say do you do you agree with that yes they well uh to, for the most part i think burke and mark and eddie are mm-hmm. all very similar characters yeah they're the and, grungy kind of uh heavy metal type type band yeah. people otherwise yeah they're all pretty different but Speaking of change in character, I feel like Deb is the one who more recently has started to change as a person. There's been a lot of kind of little hints that this is not the norm for her. It's kind of progressed downward for her. And I just, I couldn't get a good grasp as to what it was. I'm not sure if it was when Joe was talking to her. Teen angst. But do you remember when she was in the the booth? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know what she she said she's doing taxes or something weird. Mm-hmm. And Joe catches her in there and says, um, "Do you want me to call your mother?" And she says, "If you can find her, I'd love to talk to her." So I'm tr- I'm trying to understand: did she did her mom abandon her? Did she pass away? Like, what is that the turning point for her? Why didn't it, Joe know this? I got the sense that the, the mom abandoned her and it was probably not recent. It seemed like, you know, she's kind of dealt with this pain before. She she doesn't strike me as so. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that there isn't an event that, that took place prior to the start of the movie that might have sent her over the edge. Um, clearly, she's attempted suicide. She's got some bandages on her wrist. Um, and she admits later that she was trying to cut through her wrist with a, a pink. A lady Bic. Yeah, lady Bic razor. Um, with a moisturizing I, strip. I, I, I gotta say though, I don't, maybe her, her cries for help weren't as severe prior to this, this movie or, or these events, but I get this sense, especially with her relationship with Gina and how they kind of go at it at the register there in the beginning, that this is Deb. She's very standoffish. She's very, um, authoritative and she strikes me as one of those people that wants help but doesn't know how to ask for it. And that's why you get kind of this cold exterior with, with still these, these cries for help, the shaving of the head very publicly in front of everybody. She's wearing uh, the wrist bandages very openly. Um, I, I think she wants to be a part of the group, but struggles to admit it and, and let her guard down. Well, she says it right during the pretend uh, ceremony as Funeral. if she had passed away. Yeah, yeah, she says that she's just tired of not feeling seen. Right. So 
between the comment from Joe about calling her mom and then the innuendos that Burke and her have had a big fight or mm-hmm. broke up the night before or something, there must be some more recent trauma going on to make it more extreme than than normal. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. So let me ask you this then. Favorite character, least favorite character. You said Lucas is your favorite. Are you sticking by that? I mean, I feel like Liv Tyler, really? Corey's not a not a favorite character. I love Liv Tyler. She has a lot of whiny points in this movie. Agreed. That, that bother me. But I do like her. So I can't put her as my favorite for that reason. And that's why I stick with Lucas. My least favorite would have to be, what was that band we, you said? The Guar. That whole band, Guar. <laughs> that was awful. I hate that. Um, you were in a Guar fan it, in high school? Oh, my God. Not, no, not that stuff. No, thank you. There's a lot of other bands similar to that, but not, not to that extreme. I think it's between Rex Manning or Jane. Oh, Jane. Debbie uh, Mazer, Mazar plays Jane. A very different role for her. She's also one of those actors, I think, that you'd recognize but not be able to name. Rex Manning, played by Maxwell Caulfield, who has not done anything other than this, really. Hey, come take a seat at the campfire. You're not the only one who joins. I've got friends that come over sometimes, too. We talk about a ton of interesting things from geek culture. Then we cover some conspiracies or philosophical thoughts or monsters. You know, we talked about Bigfoot in one episode. It's a lot of fun, so come join me at the Campfire Chats, a DFAT entertainment podcast hosted on Spotify and other fine places you find podcasts. From the far reaches of the galaxy to an internet location near you, we're Don'tForgetATowel.com, your daily source for geeky pop culture news, reviews, interviews, and so much more. So as you're hitchhiking your way through the universe, don't forget to travel safe, and don't forget a towel. I mean, Renee Zellweger's in this movie. Renee Zellweger. That's crazy. She's such a huge star now. Um, with you know movies like Chicago, Cold Mountain, Jerry Maguire, Bridget Jones Diary, uh, one, two, three, um, Monsters vs. Aliens, New in Town, Leatherheads, Cinderella Man. I mean, she's been in a ton, a ton of stuff, and hardly ever talks about this movie. I didn't find very many interviews with her. There's a few at Liv Tyler. This is obviously one of her first movies. Um, Rex Manning who is a central part of this movie because he is the big star coming to empire records to sign autographs. He tells them all, uh, why don't you just fade away? He gets pissed off and leaves. That is a quote from a, uh, song by the who my generation. I'm, are you a who fan? Did you know any who fans? I know who they are. Yeah, me too. I like some of their songs. They're but... not, they're not big here in the States. Uh, 
Ethan Embry, though, he loves this movie. He talks oftentimes about it. He said in an interview on the 20th anniversary, the crew got along very well and were very close during filming, which is awesome. Because when you see these coming of age movies, you really do hope that they are friends in real life. I don't know if they still stay in contact or not, but uh, they at least were good friends during the filming. I, I see that actor as putting a sunny side on everything anyway. Mm-hmm. I bet he would have something positive to say about anything he does. I will say, though, that between this and Can't Hardly Wait, um, I like Can't Hardly Wait. I like his character and Can't Hardly Wait a lot better. Mark is not a strong no. character for me in this movie. They are, no. He's, he took that that personality too far. It was just, a, it was a lot. Yeah. I like, uh, I like Lucas. I agree with you. I think he brings some good comic relief. Those one-liners are great, especially when him and Warren are, are having their back and forth. I, I love that whole scene. Least favorite character is probably Rex Manning, but he's supposed to be right. He's supposed to be this, this kind of evil older guy who's just wasting life. So was, full of himself. So full of himself. Yeah. Um, so now that we've covered the characters, let's talk about some of the more iconic scenes. I don't want to go through line by line of the plot, but I do want to talk about, I mean, we've both seen this movie along a lot. A lot. I'm assuming you know, the people listening have seen this movie at least you know once, if not multiple times. Let's talk about some of the most iconic scenes. We, we, we talked about the opening scene. Um, we've gone over the shoplifting scene too. What are some other scenes that, that you think of when you think of this movie? Well, the end, when they're on the roof doing the whole party and the, the concert, um, when they're doing the ceremony. The, the funeral. The funeral. Yeah. Which well, is a, it's, yeah. I mean, it's kind of, what do you, it's a funeral. They're doing a living funeral. They want her to see how missed she would be. Yeah. Right. Which. I couldn't imagine doing that with friends. Like like that would be really weird. They didn't execute it well. I mean, they barely talked about her in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. What about the gluing, gluing the quarters to the ground? Yeah. The change. Yeah. So Lucas brings back a tub of change for the casino. Um, Joe knocks out of his hand and then AJ proceeds to glue all the coins to the ground. There's a great mm-hmm. scene of Warren as they're waiting for the cops and he's trying to pick up a quarter and he's talking to AJ and he's who glued all this to the ground? And he's like, I did. Well, what the F4, man? So like, I don't think I need to explain my art to you, Warren. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and then there's also, oh, when- oh, my favorite line is when he's like, when Warren comes back and attempts to like shoot the place up and they tell him, you know, put the gun down, Warren. He's like, my name's not Warren. Stop calling me fucking Warren. I think that word. I think that word. No, yeah. such such a quotable movie. Do you think a movie's quotability plays into how much you like it or how well it's received? I think it helps. If they have something that sticks with you, then it's going to make you think of the movie and get. Yeah, I think it helps. But I have horrible memories, so I can't <laughs> solely base it on that. In uh, 2003, it's a feeling. 
2003, Warner Brothers releases the Remix Special Fan Edition DVD of Empire Records. It's unrated and has four extra scenes totaling 17 minutes. One deleted scene that was had the band arrested after performing on the makeshift rooftop, similar to the Beatles when they were arrested on top of Apple Records. The band, the band, the guys, they got a great song at the end, but other than that, they're not in the thing very often. And I got to imagine there's got to be a whole subplot about Gina being part of the band or something and wanting to sing. Cause there is, there is a moment where she talks about how she wants to sing in front of people. Then obviously mm-hmm. at the end of the movie, she's able to do that, but it didn't seem as prevalent as I think the the directors or the writer probably set out to have it. Do, do you agree? Uh, no, I just think it was a, a chance to get more involved with that character. I think it's um, what's his name's band. And she just got the opportunity to, to break out of her shell a little bit. And I don't know if it's much more than that. She doesn't seem like a very fleshed out character though. I, I agree. If you if you had to see a sequel to this movie, what character do you want to see or characters do you want to see come back? Lucas. Do you think it, it starts out he's the manager now? Yeah, exactly. I, can I see think that. him and Joe are gonna have a very interesting relationship. And yeah, I think he would be he would be the manager. I think Mark um Mark's gonna be there because he's not going anywhere. Right, for sure. For sure. <laughs> and Corey and AJ are living their best life. And Deb and Gina are off doing their own thing. And I'm sure Jane's around somewhere. Probably. Because she got attached real fast. I don't know I don't, how that evolves so quickly. Well, I mean, when you say she got attached, so she she quits. She's Rex Manning's assistant. Rex Manning is a POS. And during the process of him signing autographs, she quits and just leaves then she's gone in the movie and she comes back at the end when they're having the party i don't i mean she comes back way before then she comes back fast still though i mean she comes back basically just to kind of hang out with joe and and more or less ask him out why because he saw him he's a nice good looking guy they hit it off and uh she's got nothing else better to do she just quit her job they spoke for like three seconds she introduced herself when they showed up there. They didn't know each other before. Right. But you got to she, imagine they probably had phone conversations. She's, she's probably the one that set this up with Joe to have Rex there and, and signing autographs. So maybe they're exchanging phone messages and, you know. It's still she, very weird how she comes right back. She and all of a sudden of she's gym. involved in everything they're doing. She's like mama bear. She's, mm-hmm. <laughs> she saw his, his drumming skills. And That's what it was. Couldn't That's turn what, away. She's clearly you know likes music and, and yeah into the industry she uh, was impressed by him beating up lucas and you know, <laughs> it's a train wreck you can't turn away that's another great scene i like that joe is this authoritative father figure to probably all of them and obviously lucas screwed up so he smarts you know gets gets smart with joe a couple times and finally joe's had enough pulls him in the office closes the door you get the sense that he beats the crap out of him but then afterwards hands him a paper towel and says you know you deserve that right and lucas is like yeah i know like it's just it's a very 
understanding, even, even in their turmoil situations, this group understands each other. I think, I really think that's what drives this film home so much is that it's not just a coming of age. It's not just independent teen characters finding themselves. You get this idea that it's the perfect storm of a group of people finding each other. I mean, even Joe, who by no means is young in this movie, he he needs them as much as they need him, I, I feel like. And and that's it really speaks to friendship at many levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2015, the Blu-ray is released by 20th Century Fox because they purchased the rights from Warner Brothers. So why do you think a movie that does not even a tenth of its budget somehow still has value 20 years later upon the release? Because there's all those 90s kids who have money now and can go out and buy the DVD. <laughs> and they still love it. It is still a great movie. Do you, do you enjoy watching it now like you did the first time? Mm-hmm. It doesn't ruin it to know what happens or? No. Nope. I'd watch it over and over again. No problem. And I can't do that for most movies. Once I know how it plays out, I'm all done with it. Um, any other scenes that you want to go over before we get into our games? No, I think, I mean, no, I think we got through most of them. Yeah. Great, great movie. Great pick. Let's, uh, talk about the questions. You can try to drink out of the glass as many times as you want. There's no more wine in it. It's definitely empty. (laughs) So you've had the pleasure of being on the show before, but what you may not know is come season three, our crack team scientists have come up with some new questions for us to use to determine if this movie was good. So did you say crack team? Yes. It's literally a team of scientists that we keep addicted to methamphetamines. Just it'll do their job. I just need you to clarify. So question number one, does the progress and rhythm of the movie fit? No, I think some of it was a little forced. Do you think it has anything to do with them trying to cram it into an hour and a half? I mean, it took out 40 minutes of film. Probably because there's several characters that they're trying to give some depth to. And with only that much time and all these different stories, you don't, it doesn't seem like they have much choice. Yeah, you definitely you definitely have characters that take kind of a back seat with with so many characters in the film, you can't give you know backstory and depth to each and every one of them. So I think you do have mm-hmm. characters like Mark who don't have a rich backstory. I mean, even even some of the main characters like AJ doesn't have a huge backstory, but somehow mm-hmm. the relationship between them allows those characters to grow a little bit. Uh, so I don't disagree with you. I think the I think the progress and the rhythm of the film seemed a little sped up, but for an hour and a half movie, I mean, I kind of expect that. I don't think it necessarily diminishes the value of the movie though. I, I would, I would love to see the the version of this that has the extra, um, was it 17, 17 extra minutes in the 2003 Warner brothers release um, to see if that adds anything. But 
I mean, fingers crossed that we eventually get that director's cut with the full extra 40 minutes. That'd be cool. Yeah, I'm sure as you watch it more, you're looking for more information on these characters because you're more involved, more invested in them. Whereas the first first time or second time, you're not feeling the same way about them. So now you're you're wanting some more than what the movie's actually giving you. What what character do you want to see more about? Well, I don't know much of anything about Burke. Burko. I don't think they called him Burko. No, he yep. It was Burke. He had a name tag that said Burko. They don't use his name very he's only in like three scenes. Right, but they don't talk about him very much at all about him and Deb's relationship. Is this new? Has this been forever? Mm-hmm. Eddie comes in and out, who's a fun character, but he doesn't even work there. So is he just a random friend? I think he does work there. I think he also yeah. works the pizzeria. Oh, oh. Because he yeah, comes yeah, in at the yeah. end and he's in like the back room and he's trying to like, I think it's either him or Burko yeah, but, who puts a shirt on. But I feel like they would just let him in anyway. That's true. So I never, I was never positive if he worked there or not. Hmm. Um, Okay. Question number two, what, if any part of the film speaks to you and why? What, if any part speaks to me and why? Hmm. Well, there's every, I think everyone can relate to AJ's situation of, being in love with someone that maybe they think they can't have or may not have any reciprocal feelings. Recip- can't, is that the word? Can't relate at all. No. no. Okay. So, uh, so that part, so I can relate to Corey just in the general sense. And um yeah, I think that's it. What's um, the question? <laughs> I, I would have to go, the part of the film that, this is going to sound crazy. The part of the film that speaks to me the most, when Gina shows up, she goes to the front, or excuse me, when Deb shows up, she goes to the front counter and Gina's there. Um, I, I want to say she's got a clipboard or maybe it's Liv Tyler that has the clipboard and she's going through and she's like doing things. She's checking things off, counting the drawer and so on that she's having this very emotional scene between uh, Liv Tyler and Gina or Renee Zellberger's character, but she's also going through this checklist. And I related to that because despite the fact that we, like I said, we, we both said um, we had these jobs before that, you know, were very much about the people you worked with and, and, and not so much about the job. You still had responsibilities. You still had things you had to do checklist you had to sign off on i mean even joe who's their father figure he's still the manager of a a record store he's there's still things that need to happen to get done to keep the business going and i i thought it was great that while they have these characters that on the surface you probably wouldn't trust as employees because they don't seem like they're very good employees they're still catching uh shoplifters doing their checklists counting their drawers, you know, interacting with customers. Even Warren at one point is like dusting, although he's dusting like a customer's foot, but regardless, they're still getting their work done in in the midst of all this drama, which I thought was really mm-hmm. cool that it wasn't, 
it wasn't them letting the store go to shit. They still have a job to do. Yeah, I think I think they have pride in it mm-hmm. because they've it's, you know, they've been there a long time, so they enjoy their job and their customers probably more than anything. So yeah, if if you get a good combination of people, then you can you can have the best of both worlds. You can you can get your job done while still talking shit to your coworker and having that brotherly sisterly relationship of I can talk shit but no one else can. Right. Type thing because that's what it seems like especially for those girls where they do talk shit to each other but I feel like if someone else tried to come in and do that they would maybe even offhandedly stick up for the other one. Yeah, there's a great exchange between uh Deb and Gina where Gina says, um, good thing you get smarter the shorter your hair gets. And Deb says, well, you get smarter the shorter your skirt gets. And then they say, stop, let's just rip. And they rip up the contract for the new right. place, which is great. Cause like you, like you said, they, they had this banter back and forth, but then it's like, okay, stop. And let's focus on the mutual enemy in front of us. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, okay. Question number three, what is the most important sequence in the movie? So I I guess it would be Lucas losing the money. Then his whole dynamic with Joe and how they have to figure out what to do to replace this money and then coming together to save the store. Is that what you mean? I, I, yes. And I, for the record, I love you because we, we approach. Because you have to. (laughs) That's true. We approach mm-hmm. things in a very similar fashion. And, and for it's long- reciprocated for the record. Thank you. I, now it's <laughs> officially on the record. Um, we, we approach things very similar in the sense that I take this question very literally. People who have listened to the show before know that, that I, the most important sequence to me for the movie is the one that sets the movie up. And it really is the opening sequence here where Lucas loses the money. Because without that, I think you just have another day in the life of, of record store employees. Um, I think this question does highlight what I was originally talking about in the beginning of the podcast, which is there really isn't a main plot. I mean, again, you had the loss of the money and the eventual you know, party at the end to save the record sword, Dan, the man save the empire. But with that being said, the, the, the in-between, you know, between the, the loss of the money and the party at the end, the in-between is just a variety of like 10 minute segments of, you know, Deb's suicide thing and the shoplifter and Rex Manning and all these little kind of standalone plots that happen through the course of the day. So I think I I agree with you on the answer to the question that it's the most important sequence, but I would also say, I don't think it's that important. I don't think there's many most important sequences. I think a lot of the sequences are important. I think the overall movie is what's important is the timeline of this day. Yeah, so you're saying that that underlying issue is just a a constant to tie the whole movie together? Yeah, I think so. Everything else is just little glimpses into what all these characters are going through. Mm -hmm. And Rex Manning is is the kind of middle anchor to bring everyone together and create some turmoil. Rex Manning, I think, is the manifestation of of the industry 
it, it's Rex Manning is the same as this this box store coming to take over. It's the outside world that doesn't quite understand them that's on their turf trying to tell them what they should do and who they should be. I, I mean, he comes in and they don't like his music, but they have to pretend like he's awesome. And at the end of the day, they just, they can't, they can't conform enough and they boot him out. They, you know, he, whether he leaves on his own or whatever, I think he's just, he's just a manifestation of the things in society that, that they don't fit in with. So then Mitch Mitchell, right? He's the, the owner of the mm -hmm. building. Yep. So he's falls into the same category then. Oh, hundred percent. And he's, he's the, the suit and tie businessman that comes in at the end and is so focused on the money that he doesn't care about the employees. He doesn't even remember them. I love, it's another great scene where, where um, Mitchell comes in at the end and he realizes that not only has Lucas lost the money or rather Joe, he thinks Joe's lost the money, but also there's chaos happening inside of his store and he bumps into Lucas and he says to Lucas, you know, who, who are you? Why are you here? And Lucas introduces himself again and says, I'm Lucas. I still work here, which is just a great little one liner of like, this is how little you pay attention. I introduced myself mm -hmm. earlier today. Yeah. So with that being said, on a scale of one to 10, one being horrible and 10 being a masterpiece, what do you rate this movie? For me, for you. just for me, just for you. Nine. Nine. Almost 10. What it's makes those it... whiny moments that I just, <laughs> that and the, the music video. I can't, I can't do any of that. And when Mark's making out with the poster, I can't do that. Either. The wall, wall. the wall mural. <laughs> Come on. I can't do any of those, but the rest of it is perfect. Nine out of 10. I mean, it's listen, very nostalgic. It makes I... you think of those, those times at the whatever, wherever you were working. 100%. I think the movie is nostalgic. I do like this movie a lot. Um, I wouldn't go as high as a nine. I'd probably give it a seven and a half. I think you it's a- You should probably rethink that. I think it's a you good movie. You have to come upstairs. <laughs> I think it's a good movie and I've seen it a ton of times and I'll probably see it a ton more times. I think on the scale of coming of age teen movies, it's not my favorite one of them. But it's definitely high up there. Like I said, it's a movie. You, it's never a bad watch, no matter how many times I've seen it, which you can't say about a lot of movies. Now, my favorite so part. it sounds like you're going for an eight. We'll, we'll call it a seven and a half rounds up to an eight. Um, okay. and, and now for my favorite part, guess that tomato. I love that the guests can't hear the music because um, sometimes you get guests that will try to talk during the music and other times they just sit there quietly and watch me dance. So as you may or may not know, you didn't have to give that away. I know, but it's funny. It's funny to me. Um, as you may or may not know, Rotten Tomatoes has two scores for every movie, the critic score and the audience score. Uh, I'm going to challenge you to guess the audience score. Then I'm going to give you some hints as to what that audience score might be, you'll get a chance to reevaluate your guests and we'll see how close you can get. So on a scale of zero to 100, 
what do you think the audience score is for uh, 1995's Empire Records? 75. 75. Okay, now I'm going to give you the critic score. 35 critics gave this movie an average score of 31 out of 100. It's pretty pretty low i'm also going to change their tune when this this play comes out (laughs) if it still comes out i'm also going to give you three movies that are within two points of the audience score of this movie plus or minus two points and season three we're going with the good the bad and the ugly you ready Mm -hmm. the good 2008's grand torino why is it good this movie brings the hard, grisly Eastwood of old into the new millennium in a perfect way. It's not like the other movies that show an old man learning the lesson of why he his way isn't the right way anymore. Instead, we see how his way can be updated, not abandoned. But okay, I'll say it. This is the last good Clint Eastwood movie that we're going to see or that we saw, acting or directing, in my opinion. 2008's. Grand Torino. The Bad, 2010's Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Why is this bad? Okay, I'm about to tell you, what, excuse me, what I'm about to tell you is basically blasphemy here at DFAT, but this movie is an incoherent mess. And watching Michael Sierra's acting after finding out he's a real life asshat just makes this movie that much more cringy. It's best just left in 2010 with Shia LaBeouf's Wall Street and Russell Crowe's Robin Hood. And lastly, the ugly 2016's Deadpool. Why is it ugly? The process this movie had to go through to get made highlights as, is, is a highlight, excuse me, as to why the studios are their own worst enemy. A character with a built-in fan base, superstar lead and backer, at a time when the genre is exploding and still it had to struggle to get made. The process is just that ugly. So okay. we got Gran Torino, Scott Pilgrim versus the world and Deadpool all within two points of the audience score of empire records. You guess 75. Do you want to change your guess? No, I'm going to stick with 80, 80. I want 80. You're upping it. Yeah. The correct answer is eighty-three. See, so you were close. You were very close. I was close. Wow! Should have been better than that. Incredible, incredible movie. Um, but I pre- see, this is what kills me. Who's who's buying the tickets for the movie? The audience. The fans. Hundred percent. Right. So who cares what the critics say if they're if clearly what they say is not influencing the 83. So Empire Records is a little different because it's been out for so long and it does have such a cult following. Like we said, people still celebrate Rex Manning Day, April 8th, by the way. Um, Here's what I'll say as far as the critics go. The critics score matters tremendously when the movies and theaters And when the movie's trying to sell tickets, because people will go on there and they'll look up the movie and they'll see what people are saying about it. And and a lot of times in that early window, the only people chiming in are critics. So you see a lot of good marks. You think it's a good movie and go see it. Um, It doesn't matter so much 
you know, 25 years later when we're talking about this movie that came out in the 90s. Well, that's kind of what I'm saying is that if these critics were so spot on, why, why does the viewer have such a varying opinion on it? Yeah, the, a good question. I mean, I think, you know, you look at anything, you look at people who, who uh, wine tasters or, or, you know, food critics or, or whatever, I think they just have a different palate. I think when you're going into a movie and you're watching it to, to criticize it as a critic, you know, you're, you're looking very intently at the design and the costumes and the soundtrack and the directing and the camera angles and lighting and so on. Whereas but that maybe, doesn't seem, that's not in line with the viewer. Agreed. Oh, 100%. 100%. I mean, we've seen on the show so, critic score and audience scores that are, you know, polar opposites, like in this case, or very similar in some of the other cases. I, I think it's personal opinion. Well, those critics were not, not on point for this one. Well, I think that about wraps up our Empire Records conversation. I do have one more thing for you. As you may or may not be aware, it's a firm belief of the owners of Don't Forget a Towel that everybody geeks out on something. While it may not be movies and comic books, maybe it's selling records and making out with brick walls. So I've got to ask you, Jen Gutzmer, what is it you are currently geeking out on? Well, that would be the show Ted Lasso. I know this might be news to you, but I've really enjoyed the show. (laughs) And I look forward to season three. Yeah, this show is great. I mean, listen, it's probably one of the highest watched movies on Apple Plus um, in their short uh, their short lifespan here. Such an incredible movie. Ted Lasso is such an infectious and likable character. I just want to know him. I want to be friends with him. Such a positive <laughs> and uplifting person. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think you were spot on with that opening credit scene about how the seats change because his attitude is infectious. It and really... I didn't even think about that until you said that. Well, you know, that's and now fun. I can't stop thinking about it. <laughs> that's what I'm here for. Um, th- listen, thank you so much. Anything you want to say before we sign off? No, thank you for letting me do this. I know you were dreading it. <laughs> and you are... Your hand is three seconds away from the delete button. So we'll see if this actually makes it out there. Well, I appreciate the time (laughs) and I hope we'll get a chance to, uh, to talk and interact uh, again in the future. Yeah. I don't know about that, but um, I'll be down for some more wine in a second. (laughs) Thanks so much. Okay.